name is Amanda Newland Davis, and I run Oklahoma Cold Cases along with my partner Jen. At Oklahoma Cold Cases, we try to shine light on the cases of the missing, murdered, and unidentified that otherwise don't get much media attention. For the last four years, we've existed solely on Facebook, sharing the posts of the missing, murdered, and unidentified of Oklahoma. But this past year, we've branched out and started a database in which we list all of the names of every cold case that is in Oklahoma that we are currently aware of. You can find us at oklahomacoldcases.org. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. According to Psychology Today, real estate professionals face a significant risk when they show homes to strangers. Every meeting with a client means trusting somebody new. On this episode, we're going to talk to you about realtor safety. I know that there's a lot of you out there listening who are real estate agents or realtors and work in the profession, and we just wanted to bring some awareness to potential threats that you could face while in this industry. So I have several guests that will be on this episode. We are going to start with my friends over at You're Doing Fine Oklahoma podcast. They are another true crime podcast based here in Oklahoma. And Shanna is actually a real estate agent herself. So let's talk about some true crime cases based here in Oklahoma that has to do with realtor safety. Let's start with Carla Mae Morgan Hickman. Here's the story of Carla. There's not a lot out there because it was the actually late 70s. And we did not get a lot of news coverage. Yeah. Right? 1978, Carla Hickman is a 45-year-old woman. She's married. She has three boys. And she's a, by all accounts, a successful businesswoman in Tulsa. She is a realtor with a large firm. She, we call it hanging our license at a brokerage. So she hung her license at a brokerage called Rooney Co., which is still around. Oh, wow. It appears that they were, they sort of had a footprint in both the local real estate market as well as property management. So they're doing commercial property management, residential property management, and buying and selling real estate. It's a pretty large firm. It's in downtown Tulsa. They still have their offices in downtown today. On Monday, April 3rd, 1978, Carla picked up a man at a downtown Tulsa bus stop and drove him to see a property at 1514 Vandalia Place which is in North Tulsa. Not not the greatest so, uh, area if it's in North Tulsa. Even back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. anything past Admiral, above Admiral is like, Because eh. I actually, so I went by this house because mm-hmm. I just wanted to see the area that it was in and what it looked like. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller house, smaller little 
little home, one one car driveway, basically. It's actually on a dead end street, and it's okay. like super quiet area. Um, it's not the greatest part, but it but it is a really quiet area. Apparently, this home was listed for sale at the time on the local market. And back in those days, of course, no one had Zillow or Realtor.com to search for home listings. So everything was posted for sale in the newspaper. Oh. It was all newspaper ads Wow! at that point in time. And your local real estate brokerage would have had their version of what is currently known as the MLS, which is the multiple listing service, where they would just compile lists of all currently available properties in a book. And then they would just keep those updated. Oh, wow. Week upon week. Yeah, it was a whole thing. This property was listed for sale at the time. There was an ad run in the Tulsa world. I believe that Carla was representing the seller. I don't think she was randomly called as a buyer's agent. Right. She would have been listed in the Tulsa world ad as representing the seller. So she would have been the point of contact to see the property. Right. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Carla met this man downtown. It is assumed she met this man downtown and drove him to that property around 5 PM that same day, April the 3rd, 1978. He calls her, says, Hey, I want to see this place. She's like, great. Let's go see it picks them up and they roll out. It's not done so much today, especially with uh, female real estate agents. Right. Um, It's possible you could get a call on a house that you have listed. And I've had this happen before where someone calls you and especially in the real estate market that we've been living through Mm -hmm. for the past couple of years where things go really fast. And if people call you, from your name on the sign and say, hey, I got I to gotta get in to see this house today. First of all, know that I'm always trapped, always. And 95% of the time I have someone with me yeah. or my husband always knows where I am 100% of the time. Right, that's, so yeah, that's good. It, you can definitely still do it very quickly like that. Um, a lot of agents won't take random calls like that and go meet them at at an isolated place. Right. They'll try to get a copy of a driver's license and stuff like that That's before really they ever yeah. show a house. You know. So. I assume though that that was probably just like if you want to sell a house, you got to get out there and sell it. Back in that day, though. Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I assume also back in those days that people were not as safety conscious as we are currently. Like they were letting their kids run around in free range in the neighborhood at Mm -hmm. all hours. Not locking their doors. Yeah. Yeah. They were not bothered by any of that. So she did a, she did a lot of business, a large book of business. And I'm sure she took every opportunity she possibly had to, to make a sale, which is what you do. Yeah. At some point during this visit, After they get to 1514 Vandalia Place, Carla Hickman is brutally murdered. The homeowner left in order for Carla to show the home. 
At 6.50 p.m., when the owner, Grave Moyer, returned home, she found Carlo's body inside on the bedroom floor partially clothed. She had been stabbed to death. No weapon was found at the scene. The autopsy report included blunt impact to the head. She was also manually strangled, and there were bruises, petechial hemorrhaging, and a fracture of the cricoid cartilage. Eleven stab wounds in all, some gaping of the neck, chest, and abdomen alone, one piercing the heart, one piercing the right lung, and one piercing the liver. There were slit-like knife wounds to the right carotid artery and trachea. Evidence of aspiration of blood was in her lungs, but there was no evidence of sexual assault. So why was she partially naked? Her body was noted to be warm at the scene, so she was not killed long before she was found by the homeowner. However, the stab wounds are noted as the cause of death. The weapon was described as a single-edged device, like a knife. This is the most stressful part of it to me is that her body is discovered by the homeowner who is a widow. Her body is discovered around 7 p.m. So there's a two-hour window there. Anything can she happen. She was in the home. Yeah. Yeah. The widow, Mrs. Moyer, so of course she immediately goes to a neighbor's, calls the cops, everybody comes out. Honestly, the worst part of the whole situation is not only the murder of Carla, but Mrs. Moyer is so stricken by the whole situation. She has a heart attack. Holy. Oh my God. She has a heart attack. So they have to cart her off and take her to the hospital and deal with that before they can really even get a statement from her. So she's in the hospital recovering from this heart attack. She recovered. She did not die from her heart attack. Thank goodness. But I mean, before they can ever get a statement from her, she's in recovery and and trying to deal with this. That's so sad. I did see somewhere, I read that that Carla was found half clothed, partially clothed. Now, Mm -hmm. there wasn't like a lot of specifics on that so I don't know if it was the top half or the bottom half or whatever but I was looking at her autopsy report and there was no signs of sexual assault so that's just kind of curious I guess. From the description of the clothing in the autopsy report that I could see it seems like she was wearing like a pullover sweater Mm -hmm. and then a like a sweater vest type of a thing and a skirt and like pantyhose. I think it's possible that If sexual assault wasn't really a motive in this, perhaps her skirt got displaced or ripped or something like that in the struggle. And that's how they're saying that she's partially clothed. Two days later, it's noted in an article from the Daily Oklahoman that a lot of real estate agents had called the Tulsa Board of Realtors asking about safety protocols showing homes alone. The article also notes an assault on another Oklahoma City real estate agent in 1974, where she was raped and robbed by two men she was showing home to. After that assault, the Oklahoma City board asked women not to show homes if they were alone with men. So no one has ever been caught. Um, They have never issued a statement saying that there is a specific suspect that they were looking for. However, they were able to come up with 
a, I'm going to say like a half-assed description. Yeah. The key thing that they came up with on the description is a dark green Rambler ambassador vehicle. Yeah, Rambler doesn't make cars anymore. This was an oldie. Never even heard of that. (laughs) Yeah, it, it was an oldie. And of course, they were like big, you know, big boats. Yeah. At that time. But there was a witness that claimed there were two cars parked at this address around 5 p.m. and after 5 p.m., okay? Mm. And one vehicle is identified as Carla's Yellow Pontiac Grand Prix, Mm -hmm. and the other is this dark green Rambler Ambassador. So they believe that she picked this guy up at the bus station. Mm -hmm. So where'd this other car come from? Right. Were there more than one people or more than one person involved? Right. Did this guy just get picked up and taken to the location and then someone else came after the fact? That's the question. So a witness saw two people walking into the home, one description matching Carla's, and a man who is described as 35 to 40 years old, dark hair and a heavy mustache. They drew a composite sketch of this guy. And it is the most generic. Yeah. Every man. <laughs> like every man back in 1978. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It goes cold very, very, very quickly. They really don't have a lot to go on. They found notes in her home to suggest that this, that this potential client had contacted her and wanted to see several homes and he wanted to be picked up at the bus stop downtown in the area of Boston or Cincinnati Avenues. Oh, wow. Which is directly near her brokerage. Yeah. In her notes, he described himself so that she could recognize him when yeah. she picked him up. And this is how she could recognize him, apparently. A white male wearing a red baseball cap, plaid shirts, and gray slacks. <laughs> I mean, I love that she wrote that down, but I don't love that the, the, that's just a lack of detail there. It's yeah. just like, oh, this is yeah. what he's wearing. So that's, I mean, he can immediately change his clothes, but. Absolutely. And every, every guy in the state of Oklahoma looks like that. They yeah. still look like that yeah. 40 yeah. years later. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's, yeah. So. Gary Ray Harper and James Stevenson were both questioned regarding Hickman's murder. Three days after her death, police learned that they had quit their jobs and left town. They were tracked down and arrested in Georgia. They were questioned, but never charged. No other suspects are known at this time. So this one is still cold. It's extremely, extremely cold. I don't anticipate that they have anything to look for the perpetrator with. I don't know that they ever recovered any biologicals at the scene that would have been different from her own. Yeah. Um, If they were able to separate blood via typing back then and save something in the files, I think it's a total crapshoot if those pieces of evidence are even still viable at this point. Yeah, if they because if they, of the way they stored things. Yeah, 
And if they kept their, even if they kept her clothes or whatever that she was wearing, like there's a good chance that they didn't even store it correctly. Right. So that's really unfortunate. But, and, and what is wild to me is that today you would have a suspect almost immediately just by looking at phone records and just by going, exactly. Okay, this this person called her from this place. Let's track that down. You know, even if it's like a payphone or whatever, you can then go there and go, hey, who was on this payphone? And like, there's just this trail to follow. But, you know, because I don't know how policing worked back then, but, you know, it's just wild to me because they would have a suspect within probably a day or two now. Oh, yeah, for sure. The way everything works now with social media and Mm -hmm. people using cell phones and having their own cell phone line. Because even if this guy contacted her at her home, they could potentially trace phone records, you know, back. But like you said, if it's a, if it's a pay phone in 1978, like everybody was using those things in downtown Tulsa or wherever. So, and even if it was a phone coming into her brokerage, from what I understand is that the brokerage would have like one main line and all of the agents set at desks and whoever got the round robin call is who got the call. Yeah. If someone called in and asked for a specific agent, they could, you know, they could pick up that line or whatever, but it was essentially a round robin call where if you got a cold call in for a potential client, it was assigned to whoever had, was at the desk at that time. She She's listed in there, you know, in the paper. So obviously this person is being random, however, making sure it's a female. And the thing about real estate agents at that time, and it's still true today, it's it's a very heavy, heavily female population yeah. of agents. Yeah. And that just is what it is. It's the nature of the business. Um, there are a lot of great male agents, too, And I'm sure there were at the time. It's just a very heavily female industry at this point. Bristow, Oklahoma, April 1979. A Creek County real estate agent was sexually assaulted by a man posing as a potential buyer. The agent had apparently shown this man several houses before. He contacted her again and wanted to see two specific homes. When he arrived, he overpowered her, tied her up, and raped her. The suspect in this case is described as late 40s, 5'10", 165 pounds, gray hair, brown eyes, a ruddy complexion, narrow facial features, very neat in appearance, and last seen driving a late model silver sedan. In May 1979, Stillwater, Oklahoma, Another woman, a 34-year-old realtor, was contacted by a potential buyer wanting to see a home. She was attacked once she met him at the home and was raped, but survived her attack as well. She gave the following description. White male, in his late 40s to early 50s, approximately 5'10", 165 pounds, gray hair, brown eyes, narrow facial features. He had a neat appearance and drove a late model silver sedan. It's noted in even the press that the description of the men in both cases is very similar and could point to a serial rapist at the least. This is one of the only murders that we have on record in Oklahoma. 
as far as real estate agents go, there have been other rapes and things like that that have happened throughout the state of real estate agents and in a similar situation like this. Things like this have happened all over the U.S., all over the U.S. It is not isolated in any way to this one crime. 2006, McKinney, Texas. 40-year-old Sarah Walker had been a top seller for home builder D.R. Horton. On July 8, 2006, Sarah Ann Walker's body was found in a Texas model home she had been showing to a couple who had came to view it. She'd been beaten, stabbed, and robbed of her jewelry, which was never found. Mandy and I actually visited this home she was found in back in 2022 when we attended the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas, Texas. It was a cookie-cutter neighborhood, but quiet and nice. And it's understandable how someone could have seen a man enter the home as the houses are set very close together. Police arrested Kosul, last name I'm not even going to attempt, for Sarah's murder thanks to DNA-related discoveries and witnesses seeing him enter the home. He'd seemingly been targeting real estate agents he could rob. And at the time of the murder, he was on parole for stealing a car at gunpoint in North Carolina and was living in North Texas with family. During Kosul's trial... Jurors heard about DNA evidence in the model home and under Sarah's fingernails. Kosul admitted to being at the home. He reported that his car broke down and that he already had cuts on his hands when he entered the house. At another point, Kosul had argued that the death was a result of a robbery gone bad. The jury took 30 minutes to deliberate before finding Kosul guilty of murder. In 2007, the state sentenced Kosul to death. He received a lethal injection at the state penitentiary in Huntsville in August of 2022. I take you now from Texas to Northwest Arkansas, September 25th, 2014. Beverly Carter, who worked as a real estate broker, was 50 years old when she went out to meet some clients at a home they were thinking about buying. They told her that they were relocating from out of state and were cash buyers. The potential buyers wanted to see a home she knew was vacant and sort of run down. This set off red flags, but it was lakefront. She did tell the man that she wouldn't meet him alone, but the woman got on the phone with her and convinced her to meet them both. Beverly meets them around 6 p.m. at 14202 Old River Drive in Scott, Arkansas, but the wife wasn't with the husband. She speaks with the wife on the phone and asks her to go ahead and proceed, so Carter agrees. On the second floor, Beverly was tased by the man. He then taped her hands and legs and her mouth. He put her in the trunk of his car and took her to a remote area and made her do several ransom recordings. After the recordings, he took her to his own home and locked her in his bathroom. Beverly did not arrive at home that night. Her husband, Carl Carter Sr., went to the location around 9 p.m. after he hadn't heard from her. According to a police report obtained by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Carl Sr. found her vehicle parked in the driveway with her purse still inside. The door to the property was standing open, but there was no sign of the missing realtor. This sparked a massive search effort. At the same time that night... The man left Beverly guarded by his wife and a stun gun so he could return to the scene and claim Beverly's purse that was left in her car, but was met with a crowd, including law enforcement. Because they thought law enforcement was on their tail, they made the decision to get rid of Beverly. 
They covered her entire head with duct tape, let her suffocate, and then buried her in a shallow grave bound in duct tape in Cabot, northern Pulaski County, Arkansas, behind a cement plant that the suspect used to work at. Johnson, in court, said that investigators developed Crystal Lowry and Aaron Lewis as suspects after finding records showing communication between Carter's phone and Lowry's. Lewis was followed, and he had in his possession Carter's phone. He said that further investigation of the cell phone records showed it was apparent that Crystal Lowry participated in the plan and kidnapping of Beverly Carter, which resulted in her death. Crystal got 30 years, and Aaron got two life terms. The aftermath of Beverly's death has brought new attention to realtor safety. Beverly's son, Carl Carter Jr., partnered with the Arkansas Realtors Association to train agents on life-saving safety practices. The committee recommends using the buddy system, meeting with clients at an initial meeting at the office and making a copy of a potential client's driver's license to increase safety in the field. Carl Jr. also founded the Beverly Carter Foundation to honor his mother and continue to create awareness about the dangers of a profession often done alone. To continue his mother's legacy, he also became a real estate agent himself. The Beverly Carter Foundation's mission statement is as follows. Quote, we are dedicated to the safety of real estate professionals and those they serve by providing resources to research, information, consulting, training, and support at every level of the real estate industry. The foundation will work with industry and criminology experts to develop publications, videos, online training, and social media resources available for free from the foundation's website. The foundation will provide instructor-led training online at no cost to MLS associations, brokerages, and agents. The foundation will work with federal, state, and local government officials to pass laws designed to improve the safety of the real estate industry. Many opportunities exist to expand protections of real estate agents, such as additional penalties for crimes against agents. But there also exist opportunities to reduce regulatory constraints that will improve various industries associated with real estate to work together to improve safety for all, end quote. You can find the Beverly Carter Foundation at beverlycarterfoundation.org. Well, thank you for having me, Raven. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's great to be here. In studio. I love it when people get to be in the studio because I love my studio. <laughs> I love your studio, too. This is a super cool place. Can you come decorate a room in my house I like could. This? I could, for sure, as long as it's like... This would be my daughter's favorite room. Oh, really? Absolutely. She is into true crime. I love uh-huh. this. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have you know, we've moved into the uh, no-cursing kind of true crime, so there's probably a couple episodes she could listen to of ours now. Oh, she would be into Educational it. Educational is our goal. Is there a so. previous series of all cursing true crime? <laughs> yes. Okay. You're going to have to tell there me. There is, in, the links there is in fact. Okay. Uh, the all cursing has actually been taken down um, <laughs> because we got too many complaints about okay. the cursing. <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so my name is Jeremy Dejernet. Um... My wife, Kara, and I, we have a real estate team here in Tulsa. We serve Tulsa in northeastern Oklahoma. We met randomly in a Target. Was, my husband is so strange. He is the 
most friendly person I've ever met, and we love him, and we love you guys. But uh, we're happy to have met Rick and Raven randomly in Target that day. There you go. Um, so <laughs> we that was early on in our uh, our real estate days. We entered the real estate industry about eight years ago and have uh, began helping people buy and sell residential land and commercial real estate in Tulsa, northeastern Oklahoma. Um, we are so happy for your success and the success of this podcast. I love seeing you guys. We're thrilled to be part of it. And you sold me this beautiful home with this amazing studio in it. So we did, we did. And Rick, Rick gave us a hard time, but we got through it, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) He says I was the picky one. I don't think, I think it was him. (laughs) He had a checklist. (laughs) He did have a checklist. And then, and then you even eventually sold Jean Grey, who's on our team as we well. Did. Her that was a fun so. one. We loved working with Jean. She's she's a weirdo. <laughs> she's definitely no a comment. Weirdo. Um, there have been other things happen than just murder. Uh, that's that's the you know worst end of the spectrum here. Obviously, there are plenty of other ones that simply just want to rob you. Um, because it's an easy way to get you alone, um, or so they think. And it used to be a really easy way to get you alone. So all kinds of crime happens, you know, with with any, um, I'd say, any profession that you mostly do alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are going to talk to you today about some safety protocols, some safety tips, so, what else you got for me? Well, uh, you know, Tulsa Market has its share of criminal activity, just like any major metropolitan market. We also sit at the exchange of, like, several major drug and human trafficking routes. Yes. That yeah. adds yeah. to it. And several legal jurisdictions as well. Mm-hmm. So, it makes our market particularly susceptible to criminal activity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still relatively safe compared to my hometown of St. Louis, which I still love mm-hmm. and visit frequently. Um, you still have to be conscious of these issues and prepare yourself, and I, I think that's what we're doing today. I got one I could read, but that's the 53-year-old, 53-year-old Texas man suspected of stealing. Okay. You know, we said it wasn't just murder. Mm-hmm. There's theft and robbery and that assault and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. 53-year-old Texas man suspected of stealing more than 20 grand worth of jewelry from a home. Police oh say gosh. the man posed as a motivated real estate buyer. Oh, yeah, they, they all pose as motivated real estate buyers, a lot of them cash buyers. Yeah, I've, I've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, in a lot of the cases that I'm seeing, they're like, oh, we're cash buyers. Yep. And of course, you're going to, like, really take interest in that. Of course you are. So I, I think that's why they use that. They're like, oh, come on, I've got a million dollars in cash. So there's a few red flags. Like, the number one red flag, anytime you get, if you're a real estate agent and you get a phone call, and they have to see a property right away. It has to be today. It has to be right now. Mm-hmm. Urgency is the number one red flag. Yeah. Now, we work in an industry that urgency is important. It's important to act with urgency because right. you might be, you know, beat out by another buyer or another seller. Right. Um, but urgency has its extremes. And uh, the other red flag is cash or crypto. Crypto? Yeah. You've been seeing crypto? Oh, yeah. They've got all kinds of crypto. They want to buy real estate with crypto. You can't currently do that in Oklahoma. There might be one title company that will allow that. So strange. But there's so much red tape. 
and typically you just have to convert your crypto to cash. So if they're calling you at the last minute saying they've got a million or $2 million in cash or crypto and they have to see a property right now, big red flag. Get out of there. I have a personal policy of never meeting someone for the first time at a vacant home mm-hmm. ever yeah. or at a vacant property. I mean, we sell a lot of land prop- land only properties here in Oklahoma and oh, central yeah. Oklahoma. So I personally will never meet someone for the first time at a vacant listing at all, regardless of what the situation is. Now, if that means I need to take someone with me, I'll take a fellow agent with me or my husband has come along with me a couple of times and and stuff like that. I'll take someone with me if it's an immediate need. Yeah. We always try to meet people first at a public place. So your brokerage office is always an option, a coffee shop, a McDonald's, whatever, just so you can lay eyes on these people and find out if the person that's calling you or texting you is, first of all, a real human being that's not going to waste your time. Right. And secondly, if they give you the ick, I'm I'm immediately passing it off to a male agent. I don't care what I lose out on, on commission. Yeah. A lot of agents in my local association will suggest if you get randomly contacted on a cold call by a potential client, if you are going to meet them for the first time at a listing or at a property, obviously take someone with you, get a picture of their driver's license or their ID. And we always try to get a full name so that we can run it through, you know, OSCN database. Yeah. Because we have people contact us and multiple realtors in my association have had this happen where we get a lot of heavy, heavy breathing calls. Yes. We yeah. get a lot of unsolicited male genitalia pictures yeah. either through social media or through our text messages. It, it, we get a lot of creeps coming out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. So we always try to search people on OSCN before we ever meet them just to see what they are. Yeah. Um, it honestly comes down to how you feel most comfortable. No faces or signs on public ads. Oh, really? Really bad Is that idea. a new thing? No, it's not It's not a new thing. It's a thing for our team. Oh. We don't do that. Oh, That's okay. That's a really bad like, idea. Like yours specifically. Ours specifically. Okay. We do not put faces on public ads or signage. Yeah, I, of course, um, you have to put your face on your website, of course, right? Yeah. Um, I agree with that, actually. We don't do that. Yeah. That's a bad idea. Uh, if you see your face on a bus stop, your face could end up on a milk carton. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Yeah. We don't do any solo open houses. So if, if you're hosting an open house on one of your listings, right? you don't do it alone. Yeah. That's a really bad idea. Yeah. No showings after dark and no same day showings to unknown or unverified person. People calling up and going, hey, uh, real quick, oh, <laughs> can, yeah. you, can you come real quick? Show me this house. I'm out front of it. Well, that's a huge red flag. And I I got about five red flags that, you know, I I can talk about. But there's a few other rules we have on our team. Um, We actually don't show unrepresented buyers. So we we don't show homes to anyone that isn't our client, meaning we verified their identity. Right. If they're unknown and they didn't come, um, you know, referred to us from a known person that we know, Mm -hmm. we'll verify their identity. 
among other things. Um, we also don't go upstairs during showings. That's just a really bad idea. It's twofold. Yeah. Like, you can't watch the front door yeah. to see if someone else is coming in, mm-hmm. whether they be with them or just a third party. Right. And you're putting yourself further away from your exit. Right. It's a really bad idea. We don't go upstairs. Also, if you don't, if you believe someone's squatting in a home, like you show up and there's signs that someone's living there in a vacant property that's advertised as vacant. Can we talk about some signs? Absolutely. That you see to, that might let you know that someone is, in fact, squatting there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, other than like, uh, there's got to be obvious signs like, oh, the, the door is wide open. Yeah. Or the window's open. Or somebody smashed in a, a different window and, you know, climbed in or whatever. But what else do you see? You'll see, you'll see cars outside with people in them. So if just if, hanging out, just hanging out. Yeah. If people are just hanging out in the car outside, um, obviously if the neighbors tell you people are going in and out of the yeah. property, that's usually the number one way you find out someone's squatting on a property. The neighbors mm. say the neighbors call you, they see your name and number on the sign yeah, and they say there's people going in and out of there all the time. Uh, we see it. We just had one, a real life example, um, property in Tulsa. The owner's rep was an attorney. Um, I visited the property to do like a pre-listing walkthrough with her. Mm-hmm. And we looked in a rear window and I, I saw a needle full of heroin sitting on the side table. Oh my Dead giveaway. God. Right? Are you active, kidding? Yeah. Any active like live drug paraphernalia that's like ready to go. Oh my God. Dead giveaway. Right? Well, yeah. Um, she looked in another window and she actually saw someone walking around the inside of the home. Um, all the windows were boarded up on this property. No one was supposed to be there. It freaked us both out. Uh, we decided to leave. Uh, it wasn't really pressing to enter the property, but we plan to go back and we're going to take a police escort with us to meet yeah. us there. I was wondering if like, I would say if you see drugs inside a property like that, you should probably call the police. Yeah. Any kind of needles. Uh, yeah. Anything like that. Because absolutely. you never know. Pe- people who do drugs... Well, I'll just say get a little crazy. You never know. You never know when they're going to come out of the shadows at you or something. Uh, Another red flag, requesting late showings. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything after dark, big no-no. Yeah. Don't do it. Or if they want to meet at their home or remote location. So sometimes they may... Yeah, they may may, uh, pose as a cash buyer and say... You know, I want to write a cash offer right now. Can you come to my house to write this? Oh. And you show yeah. up, you don't know who they are, and now all and of a sudden you've you're never in their home. actually seen the location of their mm-hmm. home or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Because you know, people work during the workday. Right. Um, so I would always try to set it up like at noon. I want you to see it in the best light, the light of day. We don't want to have to go into a yard after dark and all that, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I would always try to set it up like over a lunch hour. Or directly after work time. So, can you meet me at four thirty before the sun goes down? We want to see this in the in the sunlight. Blah blah blah. If it's somebody I know, I'll meet him whenever because yeah. the sun goes down here, you know, in late fall and winter Fairly at like five early. o'clock. Yeah, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get people to to leave work early for showings and stuff. If it's somebody I know, I'll show them. I'll show them whatever whenever they want to go. But if it's a new client, I would always try to do it like work around there, work schedule time, but in the light of day. If people just give you a bad vibe or if they give you the ick, like there's absolutely no reason to take on that client. Like no one is thirsty enough to take on that nonsense. Not anymore. Not in today's climate. No, no. And 
frankly, if someone gives you a bad vibe, there there's one of two options. They're going to kill you. That's that's an option. Mm. They're going to be such a nightmare client that you don't want to deal with them anyway. And I have had people that don't give me bad vibes at all. In fact, one guy, um, I was like cool with him. They're kind of white trash. And I, you know, I respect that. And we make it all the way to the closing table and he busts out his uh, Nazi prison tattoo artifacts on his arms at the closing table. And I was like horrified. Those people call me, I don't call them back. They're just people that will become problems for you in one way or another. And if they give you the ick from the start, you got to get rid of them either way. Another red flag is intimidation and fear. So a lot of people don't know this, but only about 14% of new real estate agents are still in the industry a year later. Aw, really? Yeah, that's, it's a fact. And that's, you know, it's a difficult industry. It's hard to break into this industry. Mm-hmm. And people that are looking to take advantage of other people, they know that there could be some desperation, maybe some desperation for money. Right. Maybe times are tough. This is their first year in real estate. They're looking and they're targeting new real estate agents. Mm-hmm. And this piece of urgency works on them. Yeah. Because they might not get another cash buyer. Right. This could be their big break, and they know that. So they say, hey, I've got $2 million cash. Show me this house tonight. That, that's, a, that's, that's a tough situation. I don't know that I would do that. I think with anything, like even if I were like buying, I don't know, a chair off a of Facebook marketplace, if they were like, I have to meet right now, I'd be like, uh, no, thank you. No. <laughs> well, see, when you're, when you're, you know, livelihood is dependent on, on getting a sale, mm-hmm. and you... You, I can understand The market that. might be up, yeah. it might be down. When the market's volatile, all criminal activity goes up. It heightens, yeah. It heightens it. I can see that. So in a market that's down or a market that's up, people that are looking to take advantage of others are more frequent. So they call you on the phone and they'll say, hey, um, I want to see this property tonight. Um, Eight o'clock, that's the only time I can do it right? It's scarcity. It's urgency. It mm-hmm. has to be right now. Yeah. If they have, if they have cash or crypto or they're looking to do like a quick exchange, like like kind property, and they're saying they have to get out there and they have to do it right now. Um, they will intimidate you by saying, oh, are you not a serious real estate agent? Do you uh, not want to make a sale? Um, don't make me take this sale to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can see that. And yeah. they, you know, it's typically men. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's typically mm-hmm. men that use this intimidation and, and fear. But we ask for, uh, if it's an unknown person and they want to see a property really quick, we are going to ask for documentation. We're going to ask for a picture of a business card. We need their 918 or their 405 phone number, and we need their full legal name. And then we're going to get online and we're going to verify that. We're going to cross-reference it against, you know, whitepages.com. Right. Um, search those phone numbers. You can kind of background check that. You could. You could go as far as background checking it if you have like LexisNexis or some other service. <laughs> um, I, you know, you can get on white pages for like $4 a month and mm-hmm. get a premium service and look up most phone numbers. If a number's unlisted or if it's a Google ported number, mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't trust those because yeah. anybody can go out, you know, and make a phone number. Yeah. So. I've never gotten to the showing point. If I get a phone call from someone or a message from someone that's like, hey, I want to see a house or whatever 
I'll talk to them a little bit and I'll, you know, go through the common questions. What's your name? What kind of house are you looking for? Um, are you already pre-approved with a lender, et cetera, et cetera? Can you send me that lender pre-approval? Because that's a big deal. If you have someone that's realistic about buying, they're not going to give you shit about sending you a lender pre-approval. They're going to say, oh, well, let me go get with my bank real quick and I'll get that for you or whatever. Um, a lot of people will call and pretend to be investors and, oh yeah, I have the cash. I just need to go, go see this property yesterday, basically. People like that, that are real pushy. I will never, I will pass them off to a male agent every time. Um, I don't care if I miss out on the commission. People that are pushy like that in a market that there's no reason to be that pushy. Right. I, I don't deal with them. It gives me a bad vibe right off the bat if you're pushy. And especially if you're fighting against everything I'm asking for. If I'm asking you to send me, you know, a picture, if, if I want you to text me a picture of your ID, if I want you to email me a copy of your lender pre-approval or something like that, and you're fighting me every step of the way, we're not going to work together anyway. And I'm either going to refer you out to someone else or I'll just ghost you like a bad Tinder date. I have no problem with that. I had a guy, he called our main office, the the main uh, Keller Williams Midtown office, and the call was routed to me. I was on call that day. And he asked me to see a house near Utica Square. It was listed for $2.5 million. Okay. This guy says... He's got $2.5 million cash. And he I wants have to exactly see it. the number that I you have need. exactly <laughs> $2.51 million. And he wants to see it tonight at 8 p.m. It was dark at 8 p.m. Of course. At that time of year. He yeah. seemed kind of disconnected and he talked very, very fast. And when he, and I like to ask I'm great questions. To overwhelm you there a little bit. Oh, yeah. He, I asked what he loves about the property and he couldn't give me any details. He just kept saying, kept saying, I want to see this property today. I want to see this property today. It's got to be today. Um, if they make you uncomfortable on the phone, they're going to make you more uncomfortable <laughs> yes, in person. absolutely. Like, yeah. you have that, like, this is why, like, I don't know for your listeners out there, mm-hmm. they might connect with people on dating apps and, mm-hmm. and they want to talk to them on the phone first. Mm-hmm. If they make you uncomfortable on the phone... <laughs> They're going to make you more uncomfortable in Here's person. Here's your sign. You probably shouldn't meet up. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, urgency, cash or crypto, requesting late showings. They want to meet at their home or some other remote location or using any kind of intimidation and fear. Those are all huge red flags. A real estate agent working late in the model home of a subdivision was tied up. There, there's, there it is right there. Don't work late in a model home of a subdivision. Mm-hmm. They're typically vacant. There's yes. no one around. Yeah. Bad idea. Deputies say the real estate agent told them the armed robber accosted her as she was leaving. Look around before you go outside. Don't be there at dark. Tied her hands behind her back. We got the pin number from her and then duct taped her mouth. The card was later retrieved from an ATM. Detectives say photos show a man with something covering his face, looking into the machine and trying to retrieve something from it. They say the real estate agent managed to get free and then called 911. Wow. The, uh, the, I say the takeaway from this one should be that 
if for whatever reason, now we're not trying to lack victim blame or whatever. No, like definitely we're, we're just, we're definitely trying to help you prevent these things from happening. But if for some reason you do get into a situation where someone is demanding things from you, they've got you alone, they're trying to just give them what they want. And, and sometimes the best preparation, the best laid plans, if someone wants to commit a crime and hurt someone else, they're going to find oh, a yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to find a way to succeed. So just give them what they want, and hopefully they'll leave, and and you can call the police, you know, afterwards. But Well, there was something that happened in Winnipeg. Uh, An agent was randomly attacked by a man who tricked her into believing he wanted to purchase some property as part of this elaborate ruse to get her loan. The man then claimed that he wanted to purchase a new home that he found her name through the real estate news, I guess, which is some sort of publication. Publication, yeah. Um, later, he then visited her office, saw her picture, and thought she was, quote, really good looking. Uh, the mm. woman said she was slightly uncomfortable, but brushed aside that comment while t- uh, taking him to see several residences. She eventually went to his apartment on the belief that he would be writing a purchase offer. But the meeting quickly turned from business to criminal. She fought back and fled, and uh, he was eventually taken in by the police. But so, so here we see this guy is doing some work to like get to her. Yeah. He is making her go through several different showings and establishing a rapport in a way that like hey i'm serious and and then he strikes so clearly thought it through you can never let your guard down absolutely not and again if if they make you uncomfortable from the onset don't ignore your instincts absolutely don't ignore that if 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 you get uncomfortable they make you uncomfortable it's you're you can never be too safe Never be too safe. We're always talking about trusting your gut here. And this, this is a, a another example. Like, if you feel uncomfortable, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. You might not know what that reason is. You might just think, oh, that just made me feel icky or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but don't ignore stuff like that. Well, and this story shows that the criminal understands human psychology. Yes. And he understands that money is a very motivating factor. Mm-hmm. And... When you're either a new newer real estate agent or maybe your market is down and you need a sale and someone comes to you, every time a buyer or seller comes to you when the market's down, it can be very enticing, very alluring. And you say to yourself, yes, this is exactly what I need. Mm-hmm. I need a sale. As a real estate agent, you never want to be in the position where you need a sale. Right. Because then you make really terrible mistakes, and right. sometimes they could cost you your life in this instance. Yeah, and um, I also want to mention that, again, with the never taking your guard down, uh, even if you have someone who is a client, let's say me, I'm your mm-hmm. client, I have purchased a home from you, I will probably purchase all my homes from you, mm-hmm. um, but then I send you a referral mm-hmm. that someone you don't know but apparently I do, that does not matter. It should not matter to you. It shouldn't matter at all. Still yeah. do everything that you would do if this is a stranger off the street. Well, now when you sent me, when you sent me Gene, right? I, <laughs> well, Gene is Gene. <laughs> I, I felt pretty good about that. You know, I felt like I could trust. Oh, but also, I am very unique in the way that uh, 
I already know like my people mm-hmm. and I am already like highly um vigilant and self-aware and I know that about you so if you send me someone I know you're not going to send me someone that you feel is a risk or something you know still do your research do whatever you need to do to vet this person and don't don't just take people's word for it for the most part I mean always 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 tell someone it doesn't matter who it is if it's your spouse it's if it's your best friend if it's your cousin if it's whomever Whoever that one person is, you need to share the location of where you're going to be, who you're going with. Hey, I'm showing a house today to Bob Smith and his wife, Susie. This is Bob Smith's phone number. Yeah. This is what I know about Bob Smith. Just like you're going on a blind date from Tinder. Mm -hmm. I mean, a large part of being a realtor is meeting new people networking with new people, talking to new people. You get a lot of people that are outside of your personal friendship group coming to you for advice and as clients. This is what I know about this person. I need you to know that from 5 to 545, I have a showing scheduled at this location. This location is a vacant listing I need you to check on me at 545 Mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm still kicking. Yeah. And even better yet, what I did um, when I was with a team of agents a while back, we had an app that we use called Life360. Mm -hmm. And you can add people into your little family and you can always see where they're at. Me and my husband use it now. Um, he always knows where I am. I tell him 100% of the time, if I'm going on a showing, it's between this time and this time, this is where I'm going to be. This is the client I'm showing with. And he knows, I'll tell him like, oh, I know this person. I've known them, you know, my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've known this person this is their third transaction with me. I don't think they're going to wait this long and spend this much money with me to ax murder me. I don't think they're playing the long game (laughs) or this is a brand new person that I just met and I need you to check on me at 15 minute intervals. And if I don't respond, you need to call 911 and this is the address. Like he knows it's that serious. Um, But those are the biggest things is always, always, tell someone where you're at, someone that you trust to actually keep tabs on where you're at. Well, as far as property access is concerned, like there are some of those safeguards in place uh, with a lot of our new lockboxes now that go on properties. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're called sentry lock lockboxes. They're they're far superior to those old school, like four digit lockboxes, just combo boxes. Right. You might accidentally leave the code up and somebody could easily come in and get the key, right? Well, Sentry Lock Lockbox has created a digital log of everyone who enters, and it's actually linked. Oh, yeah, it's linked that's to a... That's cool. It's super cool. It's linked to a uh, unique six-digit ID, and it's a proprietary app. It's almost impossible to hack. You have to register with your driver's license, and you have to be a member of Holy your cow. local MLS. Yeah. That's dope. So anybody that uses the Lockbox to access the, access the property 
uh, it's a digital log. It's kept forever. Yeah, so there used to be, on those lockboxes, there were, like, codes like that Mm -hmm. that someone else could memorize or whatever. It is not like that anymore. It's actually a proprietary app that is only linked to your mobile device. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it, you, it uses face ID Ah. and it will activate the app and then you have to enter your own personal pin, but it will only work through the app on your phone. So it can't be duplicated. There are much easier ways to get into a home than through your lockbox. Break the window. Yeah. I'm listen, I'm not saying break, do not break into homes. Don't break into homes. (laughs) And these lockboxes, they're, they're rated for like six hours. Like it would take someone six hours to get into this, these lockboxes, these new ones. Yeah. So it's incredibly unlikely. I think there's only one case of that happening in the Tulsa market where somebody was able to pry one of these off a doorknob and then took it to like a work van and like got it open, but it took them hours. Like just, you know, there's easier ways, (laughs) right? So <laughs> that seems like a lot of work. But I, I can't tell you how many times another real estate agent has showed one of our listings and have literally left the front door wide open. What? Yes. Oh my God. That's like one on one basics right there. Yeah. Guys, stop doing that. <laughs> Please shut the windows, lock the windows and doors, and put the lights back the way that they were. You're putting other people at risk. Please. Oh my goodness. There have been times. When I've toured properties, uh, commercial properties particularly, there was one instance where I was touring it with someone who, about halfway through the tour, and and this was a pre-listing tour, so I was walking through the the commercial property to decide if I wanted to list this and have a conversation with the owner Mm -hmm. to see kind of what he was expecting and and come up with an approach and, and really decide if I wanted to work with this person and if right. he wanted to work with me because it's a mutual thing. Right. The building itself was not well lit. It was in the middle of the day, but once you got inside the building, there was Dark. no electricity on. Oh. There's no utilities. A lot of times, right. if it's a commercial building and it's not occupied, there right. will not be electric on. There's no gas. There's no water. Yeah. It's dark. The commercial buildings are big. They're huge. This is about a 10,000 square foot building. And there was a lot of dark corridors. It was an old church building. There's a lot of dark offices. As I'm walking through the property, we're walking into each of the rooms. And I start to notice, I I started to think to myself, maybe this looks like an old marijuana grow operation here. Oh, no. Yeah. not necessarily a legal one, right? Oh, no. This was like pre-OMMA days, right? Like back in the day. It hadn't been touched for like 10 years. Yeah. And all of a sudden I realized, I don't really know this guy that well. Yeah. He's about 350 pounds and about eight inches taller than I am. Holy cow. That's a big dude. Yes. So we, we go into this particular room. And I say, why do you want to sell this property? He starts talking about his ex-wife. And as oh, he's no. talking about Those his ex-wife. Those are trigger words right there. As he's talking about his ex-wife, he starts to get angrier and angrier and yep. angrier. And all of a sudden I realized, I might actually be in danger yeah. here. Yeah, that's and, scary. And, and that was the, I really felt, that's the only, that's the only time. And I'm fortunate because there are, you know, people that identify as other genders that might be in these predicaments a little more often than I am as a mm-hmm. cis male, right? So, but I, that's the only time that I can remember ever being afraid for my life. And immediately I felt to myself, I have to get out of here. And I, um, I backed out of the room and I said, Hey, Mr. Man, um, 
I'm sorry, but you're making me pretty uncomfortable right now. And I have to leave. Hopefully that didn't upset him. No, I was about 30 feet away from him. And I was, I was like really prepared to run. Yeah. But I needed to tell him, I needed to set that boundary in case he just wasn't aware that he was making me uncomfortable. Right. You know? And some people are not self-aware. They don't realize when they're talking about things that make people uncomfortable. So I do think that's a, a plus if you can tell someone that they're making you uncomfortable, you should. Um, if yes. you think that's not going to put you in further danger. I, I did only have one way of exit. And oh, it was the way man. we came in. All the exterior doors were locked. Um, and you and I through all those corridors. All, and all the that corridors. Yeah. I backed out and... His, his voice was booming. I mean, it was, I was actually terrified. Oh my gosh. Got in the car and never came back. And after that, I started to realize, because this came to me as a referral from another agent. Mm-hmm. It was an uh, agent who identified as female. Mm-hmm. Um, she was much smaller in stature. She did not yeah. want to take this listing. She referred it to me, but she did not tell me why she didn't right. want it. It was right. obvious why she didn't want it, because he scared her. Yeah. He made, he made her uncom- yeah. very uncomfortable and he made me uncomfortable. Um, and eventually I had to, I had to block his calls. One thing I just remembered, this is crazy and you might want to look into this more Okay. for a while. And I have the voicemail still on my phone. Oh no. For a while Should I was getting phone. <laughs> I was getting, we can play it. I was getting phone calls from someone, uh, to see a property to see multiple properties. And I, I don't, I think she showed up to an open house. This person showed up to an open house and I remember them being very eccentric and she was wanting, asking me all these questions. And I realized kind of quickly that she wasn't entirely neuronormative. Okay. Mm, yeah. And so I just kind of, uh, she took my business card. I forgot about her. Mm-hmm. And I started getting repeated phone calls from her asking me to see properties. And I knew, like, there are certain people that you meet. You don't profile. You don't yeah. You don't buy into the stereotypes because you never know. This is Oklahoma. Yeah. Someone driving a little beat-up pickup truck could be a millionaire. You mm-hmm. don't know, yeah, right? Yeah, that's absolutely so true. So you don't Oklahoma, want a stereotype, yeah. right? Yeah. But this particular person, I, I came to the conclusion, and, and you have to use your own judgment, that she really could not afford to buy a home. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just because of uh, she she didn't have transportation, she she could never produce a pre-approval letter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a dead giveaway right there, right? Yeah. Um and so I decided it was not worth my time, so I quit answering her phone calls. She started calling me more frequently, so I blocked her number. Okay? Once I block I think I mentioned this to you when it happened a couple have. years ago or a year ago or whatever. Um I blocked her number. And forgot about it, right? Well, then I'm watching local news. Oh, no. And there was a murder. <gasps> and it was her. What? It was this lady. I don't think you told me that. Yes. <laughs> it was this lady. Um, oh can I say God. her name? She's dead. She was oh, the one murdered. yes, you can. Her <laughs> name was Rainbow Star Dancer. Oh, yes, you did tell Remember me about I that. Remember I told you about yeah, that? Yeah, you told me about that. She... I looked at my voicemails one day and I, I looked under blocked messages because I was looking for a voicemail from a family member that I had blocked. Oh my gosh. And I saw this message pop up and it said Rainbow Star Dancer. I was like, what? I was like, is that the lady that I saw in the news? She left me a voicemail a couple weeks before she was murdered. Can oh I play it for you God. now? Yeah, you can play it for me. Hey, 
Jeremy Keller. This is uh, Reverend Rainbow Star Dancer. It amazes me how challenging it is for you and I to actually talk. My way to be on a vacation trip, which may last between two to ten days, depending on the results. Could you please call me in the morning as early as possible? I wake up between midnight and 2 a.m. I go to bed at 2 p.m. Yes, I'm very eccentric and pretty old, too. Call me, tell me what you need. I'm on the way to the bank for a cashier's check for other people. Thank you. She said, I'm on my way to a vacation that may last two to ten days. And I remember reading something that her assailant convinced them they were going to go on vacation somewhere. What? They were going to go on a trip. I'm have to. You might you might have to look up I'm Rainbow, have to. Rainbow Star Dancer. Right. Let's check this out. Suspect is the only connection between two women. <gasps> what? Two women? All right, this is from News Channel 8. The Tulsa police say the only connection. You want to hear my <laughs> news broadcaster yes, voice? Please. <clears throat> Tulsa police say the only connection between two women's murders is the suspect they arrested Tuesday. Terrell Brooks, 22, is being held on suspicion of murdering Elizabeth Dillard on March 25th and Rainbow Star Dancer just over a week later. Both women were gunned down at their front doors. Bullet casings found at both shootings matched the same gun. Brooks admitted to being in a relationship with Dillard and staying with Dancer for a week. Police didn't say that Brooks admitted to the shootings. He asked for an attorney when confronted about the information about the murders. This is this voicemail I got was on March 25th, 2022. March 25th. This was on April <laughs> just 6th. For, just for you oh uh, police officers out there. Uh, he is now facing a third murder charge after his mix, missing girlfriend's remains were found in a shallow grave last week. Oh my God, so there's a third one now. 24-year-old Tyra Whitaker was last seen on January 19th getting into a pickup with her boyfriend, Terrell Brooks. Uh, his name is Terrell Brooks. She, she said it's amazing how challenging it is for you and I to talk because I quit answering <laughs> her phone calls because she was, calls. yeah. That is wild. She was, I think she was saying that she was going to get a cashier's check. I don't know if she was using that for a down payment or what her logic was on that. That is so wild. So, yeah. So this man is being charged with her murder and two others. Around the same time Whitaker was listed as missing and endangered, officers conducted a welfare check at place (laughs) to check on a woman, Rainbow Star Dancer, who had not been seen or heard from in several days. Tulsa police reportedly went to her apartment and found her dead from gunshot wounds. She had allegedly been letting a man stay with her for about a week, which was identified then as Brooks. Evidence at the scene connected Brooks to another death, that of 27-year-old Elizabeth Dillard, who was found fatally shot on her front porch. Tulsa police arrested Brooks on April 5th after he was seen driving suspiciously. And then, of course, another girlfriend of his wound up being dead as well that is insane yeah that is insane yeah Uh, so i saw it on the news and i was like oh my god this is the woman this is the woman that is so wild i am gonna say though that i do think it was good that you were blocking those calls because apparently this guy was tagging along with her exactly at a lot of exactly a lot of stuff 
We were talking about realtor safety and stuff. This was a real life example, okay? I couldn't think of any better content for this podcast than just then. I'm like, wait a minute, I have this thing. The things that happen Mm -hmm. on this show. How often do you guys do open houses? And like, what are your protocols for open houses? Because just anybody can show up. Yeah, it's open to the public. They're public open houses. So there's... The purpose of an open house, I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to let you in on a little real estate secret. Insiders. Insiders. Okay. (laughs) So open houses, um, to the client, open houses are, well, let's open up this to the public and let them see it. Do a lot of potential buyers go to open houses? Yes. Do they tour open houses if they're looking for um, a home to buy? Yes, they do. The statistics, though, state that it's less than 10%, and it's, it's really more like something like 2 or 3% of homes actually sell from an open house. Really? Yes. Okay. So you don't, from a, a real estate agent's perspective, because only, you know, let's just say 2 or 3% of houses actually sell from the open house, mm-hmm. there's a few reasons you would do an open house, and one of them is to create urgency. So if you're on the listing side and you want all these buyers to see other buyers in the home, you want them to feel like it could sell any minute to any of these other people that are in the home, right? So that's really one mechanism of it. You want to create urgency. And so what we do, our approach is, if we list a house on a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, we'll set an open house for Sunday, especially in a market that's booming, like a booming seller's market like we had, you know, 18 months ago. Yeah. You know, 24 months ago, all the way up until about five, six months ago. When I bought my house and then I'll never see those rates again. (laughs) You won't, so keep them locked in, right? Well, so in a booming market like that, an open house can create urgency. And then you can put an offer deadline Mm. on the house of, you know, Monday at 9 a.m. or whatever, or Sunday at 6 p.m. So you have an open house Sunday 2 to 4. Sometimes we only do ours 2 to 3 just to create more uh, scarcity, right? And get them to come see our house first. But you you do that open house to create urgency and to get people to make a decision to buy that home rather than waiting on it. Right. Okay. So that's one one reason you would do an open house. From a realtor's perspective, even a realtor that knows that that house is not going to sell because it's overpriced or whatever the reason is, a realtor might want to host an open house at your house, even if you don't want to. And they might try to convince you that they they really think that you should host an open house. Now, I'm not saying this is across the board. I'm saying that this is a reason that some realtors want to do open houses Mm -hmm. is because it's a great opportunity to get new buyers. If only two or three percent of people that are touring an open house are actually likely candidates to make an offer on that Mm -hmm. house, the other 97 percent of people that come in there are potentially buyer clients for that listing agent. Right, yeah. And a lot of open houses are not even hosted by the listing agent. Oh, really? Yes, the listing agent will farm an open house out to <laughs> someone else that want, they know wants to get buyers, yeah. and they just want to put a body in the house to tell their client. And we host our own open houses, all yeah. of them. We never farm it out to anyone else. We, we, there's no absolutely no quality control there. Yeah. When you farm it out. And we've had some pretty bad experiences early on when we did that. You know, oh, yeah. you just don't know what you're going to get. So, you know, that's kind of the inside of it. If if you're concerned about safety, if your home is occupied, if you have children in the home, yeah. 
you yeah. might not want to do an open house. Yeah. Um, and if you do an open house, or if you're going to have your house shown, you put it on the market. Mm-hmm. Hide your belongings. Hi, you know, lock them up in a safe. Guns, jewelry, anything of value. Checkbooks. Yeah. We uh, we hosted an open house for another agent one time, and their checkbook went missing. Oh no. Yeah, like this is you know, put your checkbooks away. Yeah. Uh, Close your computers. Lock your computers. Mm-hmm. You you have no idea who's going to come in that house. Mm-mm. And and if you you know you can always make things more secure by putting up internal and external security cameras. Right. Um, I nanny have forty five of them. Absolutely, <laughs> nanny cams, all that kind of stuff that just adds multiple layers of security. Uh, but. You know, it's up to you whether you want to do it open house or not, if yeah. you, you know, because when it's open to the public, people go upstairs, downstairs, all throughout the house. They, they look no in all your nooks and crannies. Absolutely. And, they want yeah. to. They, yeah. they want to see what it's like to live in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- when you have scheduled showings mm-hmm. that are going through all of these digital systems that create digital records, digital logs, and it's linked to a real person, you have legal recourse if something goes up missing you can go back to Agent X and you can say, hey, Mr. Agent X, you showed the house at 4.30 yesterday. That's when my diamond ring went missing. Yeah. This is on you, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't do that in an open house. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you if you are going to do an open house, you should at least wait until you have moved out of it. You can leave some of your furniture there for staging or whatever, but I would take... Everything you can take of value, hire a staging you know. company. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Sta- most people, most people have okay taste, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> okay taste. <laughs> but, but but you know, when you're trying to sell your house, you need to be magazine level yeah, you do. marketing, and the only way to achieve that is with a staging company. Yeah, we recommend on all of our listings they be vacant and staged because then it's just less liability that you're incurring. On both parts. On both yeah, parts. You, yeah. There's the safety element you don't have to worry about. You're not at the home when it's being shown or mm-hmm. living in the home when it's being shown. And your personal property is not subject to damage or theft or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. For the longest time, I was told that the best way when I first started out, the best way to get business, the best way to get buyer clients was to sit at another agent's listing for an open house period. Right. You know? Yeah. We do a lot of open houses on Saturdays and Sundays here. That's when people are out and about and they'll just stop by and take a, take a look through the house, bring the wife and kids, you know? Yeah. Anyone Mm -hmm. could stroll right into it. So that yeah, just, that, that has always given me like, even going to view an open house, I'm like, mm, I don't know. It just seems real weird to me. I just. Well, and I told Shy this a few weeks ago and this happened like two years ago. I was sitting in open house in an area of Oklahoma city. That's, I would say up and coming. It's honestly being gentrified if, if I'm going to be honest. So there's pockets of this this area that are beautiful, renovated old homes that they're trying to sell for top dollar and it's crazy. And then there are places that are slums in in this area. Yeah. So I went and sat this open house. It's a $750,000 listing. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, it's a beautiful old mansion that's been renovated. 
and it's three stories. It's got a full basement. Anybody I mean, can hide anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was over 4,000 square feet. It, it's massive. And I was by myself, stupidly. So I'm there. I have my little signs out. I'm like doing the thing from two to four, you know, come see me, blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. And I have these people come through and it happened in like a rush of five or six people at the same time came through. Yeah. And after about 30 minutes, I thought everyone had left because it was dead quiet on the first floor. And I'm just hanging out. I'm tippity tapping on my computer, doing some things, listening to some music. And it's dead quiet. There's nothing going on. And then I hear footsteps upstairs. Oh, no. And I was like, either this place is super haunted or I'm getting ready to get axe murdered. There's only two options here. So I go upstairs and it's this guy that I had seen come through the front door. And it's this guy just wandering around, which is what you do at an open house. He he was not in the wrong at all. But he's like kind of being weird about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I I go to the the stairwell and I call up the stairs. I'm like, hello, is anyone still in here? I'm getting ready to lock up for the day, which was a total fly. I still had like an hour left on this thing. Yeah. But I was out of there. Mentally, I was already done. So I am yelling up the stairs, hey, is there anybody still here? I'm getting ready to lock up. Nothing. And I'm like, oh my God, this place is haunted. This place is haunted, which is honestly my worst nightmare above and beyond getting axe murdered, frankly. (laughs) I go, I go get my knife out of my purse. Okay, I'm going to go up these stairs. And if I get attacked by a ghost, I guess it is what it is. So I go up the stairs and I have my knife in my hand next to my side and I walk up and I am calling out, hey, is anyone still here? Oh my god! I'm getting ready to lock up. Nothing. Oh, God. And so I'm walking from room to room through the second floor of this house and I meet this guy in the bathroom, full panic, (laughs) jump scared. And I was like, oh my God, I, I thought somebody was still here, but I've been yelling you know, I'm getting ready to close up. And he was like, oh yeah, I was just uh, looking around. I'm getting ready to leave. I put my back to the wall and Vanna white him out. Okay, well, I need to lock up now. I have another appointment to go to, total family. And he walks himself out, walks himself out. He is still standing in the front yard when I lock this house up. What the heck, dude? Nope. So I text the agent and I'm like, hey girl, I... This is not for me. I, this guy is scaring the shit out of me. Like I, I gotta go. I locked up your house. I turned off the lights. I'm out. I am hard out and I will not set this open house again. Cause oh it's just gosh. too big. Yeah. There's too much space. He's standing in the front yard when I'm, I'm locking up. Oh and gosh. I was like, so is honestly, that- that's the most creepy. I will not do an open house period yeah. unless it's on my, my own personal listing and my, the the sellers tell me that I specifically need to hold the open house. Mm-hmm. Typically, I will pass those off to a newer agent that wants to get some business exposure, that wants to get some experience hosting open houses. It's just scary. I wanted to take this opportunity to again promote the little app that I love so much called Noonlight. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you can download it onto your phone. It is free. I think you, so you do have to set up an account, but it's a free account. And all they want to know is if they can have access to your location on your phone and your phone number, um, you give them the information that you want them to have because what, what it is, is you open the app and it is just a button literally just a button uh you put your thumb like if you're feeling uncomfortable you can put your thumb on that button and it will register that as uh, you are saying to it i feel like i'm in danger or i could be in danger and you hold your phone or you hold your thumb on that button until you aren't in danger anymore and if something happens to you while your thumb is on that and it gets taken off you have like 30 seconds to put in your personal passcode or it legitimately calls the police and it sends them to your location. Now I know that some things like this could be um, responsive rather than preventative, uh, but that's still a way for them to know that something has happened to you and that they need to get to that location. So if you're into stuff like that, look into the Noonlight app. You can literally have it, have your thumb on the phone while you're showing houses or whatever. So I'm familiar with Noonlight. It, it is integrated into some uh, social networking platforms mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, actually, if you are a member of GTAR in MLS technology, that's it really your local MLS for Northeastern Oklahoma. It does have a similar uh, feature built in. Um, I'm not sure how it functions compared to Noonlight. Uh, but if you are a realtor, there is uh, that built in. You would have to contact Greater Tulsa Association of Realtors or MLS Technology to get more information on how to set that up and how to use it. But effectively, you have to respond within a certain amount of time mm-hmm. after you enter a property. So once the Sentry Lock lockbox is activated, it gives you you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever it is to respond, and you physically have to touch a button if you don't respond it will contact your emergency contacts and then the police. This did cause a couple scares between my wife, Kara, and I mm-hmm. when, when she set that up. There were two or three times we were kind of testing the system right. that it sort of went off because we were getting familiar with how to work right. it. Yeah. And I would, so it would call my broker, it would call me, it would, you know, and we'd have to figure that out. But yeah. it is an effective system and I would venture to say that um you know noonlight would would be a, a really great solution it's for- a good alternative um if you can if you can figure out how to set that up though i didn't know that was a thing it is, yeah. um so if that's a thing i would definitely use that uh just because it probably has stricter safety protocols in how it keeps your information or what kind of information it has on you. Um, and if it's like calling your broker or stuff like that, then they know who you are. They know where you're supposed to be and can get the police more information. But if you don't want to do all that, you know, Noonlight's a great alternative. And who knows? It could be built on the same platform. Yeah, you never it, know. Yeah, it might be. And I'm in no way like affiliated with Noonlight. I just love This message <laughs> brought to you by Noonlight. I know. Noonlight. <laughs> Safety. <laughs> For your home and your life. <laughs> For your life. Maybe I should be. Uh, get with me, Noonlight. <laughs> Hashtag Noonlight. <laughs> what do you do just personally? Uh, obviously, you're not telling anyone to do this. No. Uh, this is just what you do. When I'm entering a home with a buyer, of course, it's going to be someone that I know, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm never going to 
show people a property if I don't know them or have established some sort of relationship with them and have verified their identity and gone through all these other processes. And actually, they have hired me as, as uh, uh, to work for them, and they are my client. Then I will go. I will schedule the showings. We will use a Century Lock app. We'll enter the property. Before I enter the property, because this is Oklahoma, I will very loudly knock on the door, ring the doorbell, right? make my presence known. Right. Just in case there are squatters. Just, in, Just not in only case. squatters, but there are times when these showings are requested through these automated systems mm-hmm. and a home seller might not even be aware that there's a showing occurring. Ah, okay. And if you unlock that door at five, oh, anytime yes, during the day and Oklahoma. just open the door, <laughs> they might not know you're there or they might shoot you. So you, death. you have to announce yourself. Yeah. And I always say realtor, Mm-hmm. We have a scheduled showing. Is it okay to enter the property? That's great. I say it out loud and I say it every time because you do not know what's yeah. going on. That's great. Um, you know, in the sort of like salesy world of real estate, they say you always allow your clients to enter the threshold first. No way. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming the risk to be there. They have hired me to be their client. I'm going to go at front. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to say that I am present. I'm going to make sure there's no one in the home that is going to pose at risk to me or my clients. Right. I'm going to go in first. I'm not Kevin Costner on the bodyguard. <laughs> I don't plan on taking a bullet for anyone, but yeah. I, I think it's important to announce yourself mm-hmm. very loudly as you're entering a property that is not yours and does not belong to you. Right. You never know who knows you're there or not. Yeah. That, I think that's great. Yeah. Another thing is I, um, I ask the clients, uh, I usually tell them, I announce to them that I am not going to go upstairs and please exercise caution mm-hmm. when opening bedroom doors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you never know what you're going to find. Um, I heard a case re- or a, an example recently. Someone walked in, there was a door that was kind of shut. They opened it and one of the roommates was there naked sleeping on the bed. Oh no. Not a big deal. Didn't even wake up. They just shut the door and left. <laughs> Not something they really wanted to see, right? Yeah. So what I have had happen is for whatever reason someone is still in the house. Either they didn't um get the notification that there was a showing coming up or they were confused on the times mm-hmm. or whatever. I've only ever walked in a house that was occupied by someone like once or twice. And it's always, it is always a situation where they were confused about the time of the showing or no one notified them that there was a showing. So they didn't know they needed to leave the house. It's always the owner or like the owner's kid or whatever that's home at the time. I've never walked in uh, well, that's a lie. I walked into a house one time where the back door was standing wide open. Oh. Like I went through the front door, used my key out of the key box, went through the front door. I'm flipping on lights, getting ready to show everything. And I get to the kitchen and the back door is standing wide open. And I'm like, but it turned out that the people left through the back door. And it was one of those doors that if you didn't like pull on yeah. it real hard, it just didn't latch. Yeah. There was nobody in the house. Is it scary? Yes, every time. <laughs> and if I find windows and doors that are unlocked, 
I'll probably exercise a little more caution because you never know if someone could have taken advantage of that situation. Yeah. But I, we will always lock windows and doors before we leave so that we're not putting anyone else at risk. Right. Um, also, if I'm inside of the house and it might be getting a little late, um, it could be a little more, you know, maybe a time that's a little more susceptible to suspicious activity or whatever. If I'm inside the house and I'm with a couple or more than one person, I will lock the front door because I don't want anybody to come in that door behind me. Um, We have, during that time, the key box will be open. I'll have the key in my pocket or on my wrist. Mm -hmm. I I do not want anybody else to just walk into the house, and that has happened. Uh, They see another realtor showing uh, a potential buyer, and they think they could just walk in. Oh, my gosh. If someone else enters that property... And they have not scheduled a showing with you or another agent. You are most likely going to be legally liable for anything that they do in that home. So keep people out of the home. If your client feels safe, lock that door um, because you need to protect yourself as well. So I always try to be at least five or ten minutes ahead of whoever I'm showing for. Um, So I will set a... Um, a showing request for five or 10 minutes before when I tell the buyers to show up. Right. So that I can go ahead and get the house unlocked, get lights turned on, make sure, you know, no dogs took a dump in the middle of the floor, (laughs) you know, stuff like that, just to make sure everything's show ready. And that is twofold. It is so that I can be in a well-lit place and I know that no one's in the house with us. And it's also so that I can make sure I'm locking the door behind me and no one's coming into the house after me. Right. And when my buyers show up, I will unlock the door and let them in. Um, Also, if a property is vacant, not well-lit... I will turn the light on on my phone. I'll ask them to turn their lights on their phones for safety mm-hmm. reasons, just so we don't trip. But also, you never know what you're going to come across. We really do try to avoid listings that occur after sunset because you're just, there's less that you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's usually not a good idea. Sometimes it cannot be avoided. Sometimes there really are legitimate times where a buyer says, this house just hit the market. It's day zero. This fits all of our needs. We have to see this right now. Mm-hmm. And it's 7.30 at night, and those lockboxes are going to work till 8 p.m. Yeah. If they need to see this and they want to make an offer on this thing, and there's scarcity in the market and there's nothing else that meets their needs, we need to get over there at dark and see that. Yeah. Carry a bright flashlight. Carry something so that you can see your way around and just protect yourself. This is what someone told me when I very first started, and it was never turn your back to anyone. Yeah. So if you're walking down a hallway, you let them go first. You Vanna White them through, let them go first. You always keep your front to people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like to unlock the house also before the buyers get there is because when I'm bent over at the door taking a key out of a key box and trying to trifle with all that, you're extremely vulnerable. 
vulnerable and you have to have your back to people. Right. So it's for me, it's never turn your back to someone. You always usher them through and let them go ahead of you. Mm -hmm. You let them go up the stairs first. That's why I always turn on lights first. Mm -hmm. So no one's falling down the stairs, flipping on lights. I always make people go in front of me just to ensure that I have somewhere to go if things go south. Now, if it's a family, if I, like I have one client who they're now in the process of buying their second home with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a husband and wife and two kids. Yeah. I don't have a problem going in front of them. They're not gonna ax murder me in front of their two babies. I know they're not. And I know where they live. I sold them their house that they currently live in, right? Yeah. So, There are people that I'm like, I'll let my guard down with because either I personally know them Mm -hmm. or I feel comfortable enough that they are not going to kill me in front of their spouse or in front of their 10 year old or whatever. I've also heard of using the buddy system. Technically, you can't bring someone unless it's family or some sort of relation Mm -hmm. or party to the contract of that transaction. Okay. As a realtor, it's probably inadvisable to bring just a friend who is not a real estate agent with you. But you could bring your spouse. You could, you should be able to bring your spouse. Now, again, consult your local MLS about this because they might have specific rules about this where just because they're your spouse, if they're not a licensed real estate agent, they might not, they might not should be able to be in that property with you. So your best bet would be getting, getting another another, licensed agent that you work closely with or someone that's on your team or someone that works in your brokerage that, that you can go with, that, you know, you're going to look out for each other. Right. Um, that's, that, that's important. That you trust at least enough to say, Hey man, it's seven 30. I've got to show these people this house and I do not want to go alone. Yeah. Please come with me. And again, if you get a last minute call from someone that you don't know, or a text message or an out-of-state number or something where someone has to see this property today mm-hmm. because I got a million dollars cash and this is the only time I'm in town, I would exercise extreme caution. If it sounds too good to be true, it yeah. is probably too good to be true. So before I before we talk about this, please seek legal advice before you decide to conceal carry uh, a firearm or not. This is not to be construed as legal advice. I am not an attorney. Please consult an attorney, whether you're a licensed agent or a buyer or seller, whatever, before you decide to conceal carry. There's a lot of real estate agents that are also true crime followers. Mm -hmm. So we are always keeping our head on a swivel. And to be honest, in Oklahoma, the first thing I was told when I got my license, which the girl that mentored me, I've known her forever, and she's a former um, federal probation and parole officer, So she was like, if you don't already have a concealed carry weapon, Mm -hmm. get yourself a concealed carry weapon, is get a gun and know how to use it for personal protection. I I don't feel comfortable always carrying a gun. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with a family that has kids that I'm going to be showing with or something like that, I will not take a gun with me. I'll take a knife and bury it in my purse, but I don't want a kid getting into my purse and... Right. You know, having having an accident happen that way. Yeah, that's great. Uh, absolutely. And I will say that again. So in regards to self-defense, um, 
and I've talked, I've talked to an attorney about this, but again, I'm not an attorney and this is not to be construed as legal advice. Um, in order to, uh, satisfy a court or a jury, you, you have to prove if you had to use deadly force in one of these instances, mm-hmm. um, say you walked into a home, it was vacant and you showed up a few minutes early because someone is going to meet you and you just wanted to get the lights turned on and get it ready for your buyer. Mm-hmm. And you walk into a room at the top of the stairs, which you shouldn't be, but you walk into a room at the top of the stairs and somebody is in there and it's a bad guy. Um, it's a bad guy. The bad, bad guy, guy starts yelling and threatening you. Okay. Yelling and threats, words alone are not enough. Exactly. You cannot operate deadly force by someone verbally accosting you or scaring you with words and threats. Mm -hmm. In in most cases, there's a weapon that's involved and is being used against you and you are in fear for your life. You also cannot be the aggressor. Mm -hmm. You cannot be the one to attack first. Obviously, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. pretty obvious. But some people, their fear response, their fight or flight can kick in in these situations and that's when bad, bad things happen. Right. It, you should always attempt to flee. Fleeing is always, almost always the best option. Flee if you can. Don't be a tough guy or a tough gal. Mm-hmm. Just try to get out of there. Um, it's it, it can open up a huge can of worms. Also, another thing is uh, proportionality matters. Mm-hmm. So if you're a big guy... And you, you use uh, force against a little guy, mm-hmm. even if they have a weapon, that could be construed as excessive force. Mm-hmm. Um, or if somebody's just using their fists, or and you, you know, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but if you're 350 pounds and you're six nine, like old Edmund Kemper, like you're probably gonna uh, be labeled as you know deadly weapon. Absolutely. <laughs> so your your fists are going to be able to cause a lot of harm. It's like my Aunt Sarah used to say, my body is a weapon. <laughs> it wasn't. She would just say that. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I, I need to know why she said that. <laughs> <laughs> She's just funny. Shout out, Aunt Sarah. Uh, the Castle Doctrine, it's based on ages old English common law rules stating that a person should have the right to assume safety in their own home or business. It does permit a homeowner to use deadly force against an intruder if mm-hmm. the person living in the home has a reasonable belief that they are in danger of death or severe harm. Um, that's someone that it's your property and you're in the home and, and you feel like you are in danger of death or severe harm. Then there's the Make My Day Doctrine. And again, Seek legal advice. I'm not an attorney. There is Make My Day Doctrine. Uh, it extends some of the protections of the Castle Doctrine to others who are legally in a home or business. Um, like if you have a babysitter watching your kids and someone attempts to break in the home and calls harm, mm-hmm. under the Castle Doctrine, the babysitter could um, or potentially would not be legally protected if they use force against the intruder. Mm-hmm. The Make My Day Doctrine... Um, can provide a legal defense to the babysitter in this situation as long as they can demonstrate a reasonable fear of imminent peril or death or great bodily harm. Uh, Jean and I actually went to a seminar on this. Um, So from what I understand, we don't have a stand your ground here. Uh, It is the castle doctrine. It's make my day. Um, 
but you really, really need to look into those specifically because there's a lot of technicalities with it. Um, the takeaway from what we learned was, is that if you have a legal right to be there, whether you are, and, and the example they used was that, um, there was a man who worked at Walgreens that, uh, concealed carry and uh, someone broke in and tried to rob him at gunpoint. It was in Oklahoma City in like 2009, right? It was, yeah. And, and he ended up pulling out a weapon and shooting this guy. Um, he was fired and you know, all of the, he had all these repercussions, but it was eventually ruled that like he totally had the right to, to defend himself. And that is basically what, at least in Oklahoma, that is basically what the law stands on is that if you have a legal right to be there, then you have a legal right to defend yourself. Now you will have to look up what exactly Oklahoma means by defending yourself. And again, that's reiterating the, the fact that you can't be, you know, um, instigating anything that you can't, you can't um, be the aggressor. You, you can't exactly. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, different things there that you have to look into, but when it comes down to brass tacks, if you are supposed to be there, if you're supposed to be showing a house or something like that, and you get attacked physically, you have every right to, to defend yourself, just like anyone else, um, you know, in any other profession, even if you're not working, if you're just a citizen and it's a public place, uh, you always have the right to defend yourself. So there's yeah, that. And there's also this gray area, though, that, that could that could extend into, because if you're showing the property legally, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say an example that now this is not a real life example. We're just this is a thought project mm -hmm. here. If the owner schedules the showing and the owner's aware of the showing, maybe he's not, but it's scheduled, it's verified, and the showing agent is showing this property, what if the owner doesn't tell his spouse or their nephew or whoever's living in the home that this right. is going to occur? Right. And they just woke up from a nap and they think the house is being broken into. Yeah. Who has the greater legal right to be there if um, deadly force is used on either case? Then you have this whole can of worms that's opened up. It can be, Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm it's, in that situation. Yeah. My first attempt is going to be to flee. Yeah. I'm not, my, my, my first instinct is not going to be, let's, let me pull out a gun here yeah. and see how I can defend myself. They, so. they are technically legally, they would have a greater legal reason to be in that property yes. because they would be either an yeah. occupant or an owner or an occupant or a tenant or right. something to that effect. If they're not aware and they don't have to announce to right. you that they are about to shoot you. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Mm -hmm. This is why you absolutely should announce yourself when you're going into any property, whether it's vacant or staged or yeah. occupied, whether it's in the middle of the day, evening, it doesn't matter. Make your presence known. What you're doing is really great in that you open the door, you announce that you're there. Um, if you can, you know, call both of the property owners and make sure that, you know, they both know that you're going to be there, that all the children know that, you know, you're supposed to be there. I think that that's, that's great in keeping yourself safe. Yeah. We also work with a lot of divorce and probate situations mm -hmm. with various law firms will send us, you know, referrals with a, yeah. a couple that's going through a divorce or a family that's had a, uh, all of their parents have passed and now they're, you right. know, having some dispute over who who is going to 
whether they're going to sell the property, renovate it, whatever. Mm-hmm. We've even had situations where a sibling was living in the home and they weren't supposed to be living in the home and they technically had no legal right to live in the home, but right. they were staying there. Yeah. And it, that's up for the courts to decide. Yeah. So you just never know when you get into these situations who's going to be living there and why. And as far as anyone in the home is concerned, you're the one that's not supposed to be there. Right, right. And I think another point that we could make is that if you show up to a home and you feel uncomfortable in any way, you you think you might see somebody inside and you don't know who it is, even if you think it might be somebody living there that's not supposed to be there or a squatter or whatever it is, the best bet is to, number one, call your boss or whatever, tell them what's going on. Um, and then just don't go in. Don't go in. You, you don't have to go in. Reschedule, say, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Uh, if, if it, the feeling is strong enough, you can always call the police, have them come in and check the home. Um, I'm, I'm sure that the homeowner isn't going to be like, why did you call the police to come check out my home and make right. sure it's safe? So. We had a, we had an instance, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but up in, um, there was a property that the owner's living out of state and it's vacant mm-hmm. and it's part of a package of other properties and they want to prepare it for sale right? and they want to, they want to sell the property. They haven't been in the property in years. Mm. It's boarded up. Mm. Okay. So, uh, we, we show up to the property and it is, it becomes apparent that someone is within the dwelling that should not be in there. Um, if you know that no one's supposed to be there and someone's there, it's safe to bet that, that they're, they don't have great intentions. Right. They're either squatting the home right. or there could be a robbery in progress. Mm-hmm. Get to a safe place, get to your car call the owner, notify the owner first and have the owner call authorities if they feel it's necessary. You're not under any obligation or duty to enter that property if you don't feel safe. Exactly. Exactly. Shy and her husband bought a piece of land with me uh, a few months ago. They, these people took me out into haunted woodlands (laughs) Oh, yeah. Eastern Oklahoma County. And I was like, I would not do this with anyone else because this is nightmare fuel. (laughs) It was the perfect nightmare uh, forest scenario. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There were no wide open spaces. None. It was was terrible. None. But it's beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's another thing that uh, maybe people don't think about because make sure that, you know, the house that is vacant, make sure there's nobody in it, make sure, you know, all this stuff. But a lot of times you guys are selling property, which may mm-hmm. not have a home on it. It may be in the boondocks. It may have a bunch mm-hmm. of wooded areas and stuff like that. So that's a whole different kind of vigilance when you show something like that. Well, and when you start getting into things like that, where you're getting into more rural secluded locations, you don't only have to worry about, um, the random person that called you to show it to them. You also have to worry about people that are neighbors Mm -hmm. that may think they're doing their neighborly duty and coming out with an AR-15 onto the road and saying, what the hell are you doing on my street? Right. You, you also have to worry about that because 
people are very protective of their neighbor's property around here. Yeah. And if they're not privy to the fact that it's been listed for sale or that you're showing it privately to other people, they can get very aggressive very quickly. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. And I can attest to that, Shan, because Shan took us to multiple uh, properties. And I can't, I don't remember the whole story, but I know we were, she called somebody while we were on another property and said, is there anybody in the area that we're going to need to be aware of? Um, we don't want to just walk up on somebody and startle them because we were looking at very rural acreages and not just neighborhoods. Um, so, yeah, right. and some of these had abandoned houses on yeah. them that were falling down oh, wow. and stuff like that. So we were, I just told him, I just told the other agent, I was like, I'm, I don't want to walk onto this property because mm. it was, it was like a contested probate yeah. issue. I was like, I don't want to walk onto this property and get shot by somebody that thinks their property is not for sale. Right. Yeah. He assured me that we wouldn't be shot, but I was still like, <laughs> yeah, we kind of spread out. Yeah. We spread out and <laughs> tried to try to make hard targets for anyone. <laughs> There was one piece of property, we're pretty sure it was at one time a junkyard mm-hmm. or some type of scrapyard, um, and it had a big shop on it, and that's what my husband was wanting it for. It was shady as... There was a, <laughs> let me, living quarters. Mm-hmm. Oh, and when no. we got there, someone had been cooking steaks on a stove. What? And we could still smell mm-hmm. it. We could, because we, we walked in and we were like, there's some, there's some. We oh were, my gosh. There was no legitimate front door to the living quarters. It was just a blanket. And her husband was like using a bar to like pull oh pull God. the blanket aside. And and she was walking in with my husband. They were both going, hello? Is anyone here? And I was like, I'm just going to wait by the door so yeah. I can run when y'all get shot. Yeah, I was going to just leave us together. I, I am that person. <laughs> Ask my friends. That's what we learned today. <laughs> yeah. She does not care about us. <laughs> you know, the fastest survive. It's survival of the fastest at this point. Yeah. Brokerages or providers here around central Oklahoma that will get together and they will do like a special realtor safety class. And those happen a lot. I mean, we see them advertised all the time. Um, we have a big social media group uh, for all the agents here in central Oklahoma in our association um, and we see them advertised all the time. So they'll get someone that's like a martial arts specialist or someone that's a safety specialist to come out and do a big seminar about realtor safety. They also have classes for um, gun, like, using a gun and how to be familiar and comfortable with your weapon and things like that, that are specifically geared to realtors. I honestly think it's more of like, uh, they, they kind of give us a discount on the class if we have a specific association, um, thing, but they do them all the time. There's tons of classes that are offered throughout our area 
that are specifically geared toward realtor safety. So if you guys out there are listening, you could probably just ask your brokerage, right? Your company. Oh, yeah. Um, they yeah. will probably have some sort of list for you to go and see about doing that. But Yeah, um, and if you're on social media and if you're in the in the Facebook groups and stuff like that, there's always there's always stuff. Stuff floating around out there. Okay, well, yeah. thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today and talking about some realtor safety and some true crime. I appreciate you taking your time. Yeah, thank you. absolutely. I always love for you guys to be on. You can find You're Doing Fine Oklahoma on every podcast app platform everywhere. We're in Apple Podcasts. Um, we are on the internet on Podbean. If you don't have any apps on your phone, um, a ton of our users come to us from CastBox. Oh, yeah. Which I think is an Android type uh, thing because we just use Apple, you know, we're yeah. Apple people. But uh, we're everywhere you can you can find podcasts. We're on Instagram at you are underscore doing underscore fine underscore okay underscore pod. <laughs> <laughs> we may need to shorten that at some point. Um, it's too fun to hear Shana say that. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're we're everywhere you want to hear podcasts. So come join us. And a disclaimer, in case you couldn't tell from this interaction with Raven, we cuss. So <laughs> if you're not here for the F word, th- we are not for you. We're really not. I'll tell you and right okay. now. Yeah. Because <laughs> we really like to cuss. It is what it is, I guess. It is what it is. But I would suggest our listeners hopping over. And take and listen to what you guys have done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being here with me today. Hopefully we've learned some stuff. I was going to ask you, you sent me some pamphlets. Those pamphlets are from the National Association of Realtors, NAR, okay. and it's uh, Realtor Safety uh, pamphlets. These go out if you are a licensed Realtor. Um, Realtor is an affiliation. Um, just because you pass your real estate exam, that does not mean you are a Realtor. Uh, being a realtor means you're a member of the National Association of Realtors. You've agreed to abide by the NAR Code of Ethics, and you pay dues annually. Mm-hmm. Um, these resources can be found on the NAR website. They're only available to NAR members. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. Um, if you guys want to know any information about Jeremy, where can we find you at? If you'd like any more information, if you're in the Tulsa, greater metro area, or are in northeastern Oklahoma, and you would like to buy or sell residential land or commercial real estate, or you'd like to lease commercial property, we do that as well. Uh, you can find our website at www.djournetgroup.com. Djournet is spelled D-E-J-O-U-R-N-E-T-T, group.com. That's Thank it. you, Raven. Apparently, I'm a celebrity. Uh, uh, yes, you are I a celebrity. Had... <laughs> I've told a few people I was coming on this podcast today, and they freaked out. Did they really? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it it's so strange to me. But apparently, now you're a celebrity realtor. So, if you want to use my realtor, <laughs> I reject that title. <laughs> celebrity realtor. Again, thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next time on the Sirens Podcast. You've reached the end of our episode. 
All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?